0: Welcome to Helping Kids Be Kids, the Little Lighthouse podcast, where our passion is to help parents of kids with special needs be confident caregivers. The Little Lighthouse is a tuition-free Christian developmental center for children ages birth to six. Our mission is to glorify God by improving the quality of life for children with special needs, their families, and communities. I'm your host, Christina McIndurfer. Today, we are diving into Assistive Technology 101. With me in the studio to explore this topic is Stephanie Olson. Welcome, Stephanie. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So glad that you're here. Well, um, we've been working together at The Lighthouse, I think, for four years almost now. I started in the Mm -hmm. fall 2016. That's right. And I have so much admiration for you. It's really exciting for me that you're here today to share from your heart.
1: Mm, It's an honor to be here. It really is.
0: Yeah. I think think we all feel like it's a privilege that we get to do what we do Mm -hmm. to serve kids and to serve their families. And it's exciting to have this way of reaching more families and just speaking to their hearts and encouraging them that they're the experts and their own kids and they've got this. Yes. So I feel like this topic, assistive technology, is really applicable to so many people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not tied to any specific diagnosis. It's just kind of a problem-solving approach to make sure that kids have access to what they need to do. And it can be super simple solutions or sometimes really high-tech and really expensive, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be a huge mystery if you understand kind of the thought process of what you're trying to achieve and then working back to get there.
1: Exactly. And I think that it would be interesting to do a poll because I would bet that 90% of the people listening to this use some form of assistive technology, Hmm. and they probably don't even know it.
0: (laughs) It's ubiquitous.
1: Yes, wearing glasses. Hmm. Um, you need you're a short person, and you need a stool so your feet don't dangle and cut off the circulation to your legs. You need a little footrest. And hmm. um, there's so many. Uh, it's it assistive technology is really so simple. It's helping someone do something that they have trouble doing on their own. That's all it is. Hmm. <laughs> Wow. And then it goes from, it gets really complex as well.
0: Um, Well, I'm excited to kind of dive deeper into that. But first, I'm excited about you. And I kind of want everybody to know a little bit about your background and all the experience that you bring to the table. So how did you get into OT? What did you do before that? What are you up to these days?
1: So um, I graduated with a degree in communication disorders in 1998 and... My first job, um, I, I, I'm from Alabama, and I graduated from school, grad school in Oklahoma, and my husband and I looked at each other and said, let's move back to Alabama. And this was before the internet, and I um, had my mom look up in her phone book in Alabama the number for the University of Alabama at Birmingham, Sparks Clinics, and I literally called the main office number and said, are you by chance hiring a speech pathologist? And this random operator connected me with my first mentor. Mm. <laughs> and I feel like every uh, step in my vocation has, has been divinely led because there's no mm. way I could have – I couldn't have looked up a position. And they were looking for someone to come on and do their clinical fellowship. And this place where I worked, the Sparks Clinic served the entire state of Alabama. Wow. And my mentors um, – had been mentored by the grandmothers of augmentative communication. And so I, <laughs> stepped oh my God. Th- I, I know.
0: that connection. <laughs>
1: yeah, so I stepped into something that I had no idea what I was getting into hmm. um, from day one. And I had amazing, just amazing um, mentors and teachers, and um, they taught me so much, and I worked with children, uh, I- infants through adults. Mm. And I had such a varied experience there. Um, I worked there for a couple of years, and in the process, met a young woman who had has autism. Mm. Uh, she was about eight at the time, and I developed a relationship with her family. And um, this child's teacher uh, made it through the end of September, and then decided not to come back to work. And. Her, the director of special education, knew that I had a relationship with this child and her family. And so just out of the blue, she called me and she said, Stephanie, would you like to come and be this child's teacher, special ed teacher? I'm like, never done that before, but I'll give it a try. (laughs) um, I stepped into another journey that helped me realize all the things I still had to learn. Um, because um, Sabrina and I love to eat snacks and play bubbles using her communication device. And the principal of the school was this very intimidating older woman, and my classroom was a bank of glass windows, and Dr. Left would stroll by and check things out, and I realized really quickly I could only play bubbles and eat snacks with Sabrina for about 10 minutes out of the day. And then I had to figure out how to do reading Mm -hmm. and writing and math and... um, social studies and life skills, and so... That's a lot. Those kids taught me a lot. Tell us a little bit about your
0: experience at OU.
1: Okay. Another God moment. I was a teacher in Oklahoma, a special ed teacher. I'd moved from Alabama to Oklahoma, and there was some assistive technology equipment in my classroom that the previous teacher had borrowed. And the um, Oklahoma Assistive Technology Center started calling my classroom and saying, we need this equipment back. And I'm like, okay, I sure, I'll bring it in. I found the address, and I walked in and met um, a wonderful woman, and she let me know. We started talking, and I shared some information about what I was doing and where I was from, and she said, well, we're hiring. Hmm. You sound like a great fit. Let me give you my boss's number. And so I ended up getting a job at the Oklahoma Assistive Technology Center where I stepped hmm. into another situation where I realized – There's a whole lot that I don't know. (laughs) So, um, I was surrounded by occupational therapists and physical therapists and other speech pathologists and teachers, and they taught me a lot about assistive technology. Hmm. And my my job was to go into schools all over the state of Oklahoma and help problem solve situations. Hmm. A child is having difficulty doing something in the classroom, and so we would come in and observe and Bring some things to try and help the teachers and staff learn how to try it with the child.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're a lifelong learner, so you just keep
1: oh my diving I, in deeper. I am in the never-ending process of becoming, mm-hmm. always learning, and I think that with our kids as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love it if you would speak to the heart of parents whose kids need assistive technology. Mm-hmm. I know that you see people through such a beautiful lens, and you bring that with you as you're helping them figure out what they need to engage the world. Would you speak to parents about how they can keep in mind all the time the beauty and the value of their child? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I I have a little story to tell on myself. My son um, inherited from me some sensory processing difficulties, Mm -hmm. and we worked with an occupational therapist when he was younger, and I would take him to his sessions, and she would so, show me these activities to do with him, and I would videotape her, and she would send me home with bags of things to do. And he and I would get home, and you know what? I'm mom, and we're going to sit right. and watch a show <laughs> and play Legos together. Yeah. <laughs> and so my own, son, my own son and my situation with him, Now, we did do some things, but probably not to the level that would have been really beneficial for him. Mm. Um, So that's been another big movement into grace for me as a practitioner Mm. because I will fully confess that I felt a lot of frustration when I would work with with teachers and families, and I could see the solution. Mm. I could see the steps and the things that could be put into place to make really big changes. But what I could not see or understand was the role that everyone has to play in this unique situation. And the role of parents Mm. is really beautiful and unique. Mm. And um, they have a special thing to do with their kids, Mm. which can include therapies and technologies But their number one thing, I believe, is to love their kids Mm -hmm. and to be there for them and to help them feel safe and nurtured and uh, cared for. So there's a balance. You know, Mm -hmm. I I, I, I have, I hope, learned to be more compassionate and grace-filled with families and keep my thoughts to myself about what we should be doing right now. (laughs) And just trust that uh, things will fall into place as they need to. Um, Because parents and children have a very intimate relationship. And parents know what their kids need before they even utter the thought in their head. Mm. And so um, it's hard for parents. And working with the young kids that we do at the Little Lighthouse, I am seeing again so clearly the grieving that is still Mm. happening with families. Mm. There is a a stage of grieving that families and parents go through. Mm-hmm. And uh, many parents are simply not ready to take a step in a direction that doesn't feel right to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just try to be someone who can help show the potential mm-hmm. and do what I can do with our little friends. And and they're going to be different for me than they will for their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I try to take a lot of videos and photos and share them with families so they can see the really great things that their kids are doing and give them inspiration Hmm. and give them hope and um, give them a doorway that they can know is there when they're ready to walk through it.
0: That's so beautiful. I love that.
1: It took me a long time to get there and figure (laughs) that out. (laughs) I'm so sorry for all the families that – had to work with me before I got
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much grace on what you just shared. I really love that. Mm. Um, one thing that I, uh, motivated me to go into my therapy myself is that I wanted to know the why. Why? Not just the end result of the therapeutic intervention, but why are we choosing this one now? So could you just give us a little glimpse into the thought process of an assistive technology practitioner of how you do approach a situation and work your way through finding a, a solution?
1: Yeah. Well, there's a um, there's actually a well-researched format hmm. that I use mm-hmm. and that is... Um, best practice in the field of assistive technology, and it's, mm. um, it's called the SET Framework, and it's a doctoral result of, uh, or a doctoral project of Joy Zabala, who is another grandmother in the field of assistive technology. Mm. And so the SET Framework is an acronym, and it stands for Student Environment Task and Tools. Mm. And so we go through, um, when, we, when we think about what might be helpful for a child in the classroom, We start with the child. We start with the student and who they are and their unique needs, their unique bodies. And then we look at the environment. How many helpers are in the environment? Is it echoey? Do we have any control over the number of people in the room? Um, What types of things are already in place in the room, Um, including a schedule and things like that? And then we look at the tasks. And that's where we begin to see this child has difficulty in this environment doing this task. Hmm. Uh, and it can be communicating how they're feeling in circle time. Or it can be um, holding their body upright in space as they eat their food. And so when we see that a task is difficult for a child, that's when we bring in the tools. Mm-hmm. And we um, you know, would begin to experiment and try a communication device. Or if a child's having difficulty holding a spoon so they can feed themselves, then we might try different spoons, uh, you know, know, attachments or built-up handles. Um, And it's a very uh, methodical. Mm -hmm. And you and at the stage that I'm in, I do it automatically. When I walk into a classroom, I am already seeing the tool that can help a child. But when we do our staffings for each classroom, that's the process that I lead the team through,
0: mm.
1: and um, so that we're not just throwing things at a kid because it's a cool piece of technology. Right. If it doesn't have a practical purpose in the environment,
0: or it's not a task that they're doing, mm. that makes so much sense. Yeah, it's really helpful,
1: and it's it explains also. Some of the resistance that I experienced with my families, because I typically worked with kids in classrooms mm. or um, as a therapist, uh, helping them one-on-one in communication. And families have their own tasks,
0: mm. and they have... That from- makes sense, too. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so from day one, mom and dad and brother and sister, who else is that in the environment? They've begun figuring out how to help this person complete the task in their home and they've adapted in a very natural and organic way. Mm-hmm. And so the things that we might be doing in a classroom might not fit into the home environment because they simply have figured out another way. Mm-hmm. Um, now the thing from my professional observations are that sometimes families, because they're in the middle of it, They can't see very far. And so what's adaptive and helpful when a child is three may not be the same practical support when the child is 13. Mm. And so I feel like my job is to help families recognize sometimes that um, honor what you're doing and totally respect what you're doing. And let's as best we can, think a couple of steps ahead, and let's just think about what it's going to look like when the child is not home twenty-four hours a day, or or and moving beyond the intimate family environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I have met high school kids who needed a communication device when they were three or two, and um, it it just never. Got put in place because it was so hard to imagine what this child would be like when they were 18, and here they are, they're 18. And now we have to begin from step one. Mm. So it's a, it's a it's a balancing act and trying to honor where everyone is and then make a little forecast ahead to help people see what next steps might be possible.:
0: Yes. that's excellent perspective. Mm-hmm. So helpful. Thanks for sharing that. Well, when I think of AT, I typically think of the fun gadgets, the toys, the strategies that are used. Do you have any of those ideas that you are kind of like the bread and butter of your work Hmm. or uh, that you find to be almost universally helpful?
1: Well, I am a speech pathologist, speech language pathologist. So my I'm drawn to helping kids communicate, Mm -hmm. and that's a big passion of mine, and communicate not just um, uh, replacing verbal expression, but also uh, literacy development, so written, uh, expressive and receptive literacy development. So I um, do see a lot of value in helping kids learn how to communicate as early as possible. Yes. And looking at those typical developmental milestones and if we have a little one who is you know 15 months old, 24 months old and showing signs that communication is hard, then that's the perfect time to begin to help them. And the thing about um these skill development, you know, learning how to say a word to make something happen
0: mm-hmm.
1: or learning how to move your body from one place to another so that you can experience texture on your knees or you can experience knocking something off a shelf, every action like that creates a ripple in the brain where cognitive development happens. Hmm. And so I, I sometimes see that there is a belief that, well, we have to wait until they mature cognitively a little bit before we introduce these things because they're not ready for them. But I would argue that the readiness comes when we do the thing and Mm. it helps them learn. Yeah. And beyond just the task that they're doing, like moving their body or communicating, it's promoting cognitive development that affects all areas of their interaction with other people. Um, Other things that I really love low tech things Mm. uh, a good piece of Dyson underneath a plate. Uh, Dysim is, it's kind of like um, shelf liner, only it's sort of sticky and adhesive and you can put it on a table or you can put it in the seat of a wheelchair and anything that you put on it will have trouble moving. So Hmm. if you have a bottom that slides out of a chair, it will help the bottom stay put. If you have a plate that wobbles around when you stick your fork in it, it'll help the plate stay stable on the table. Um, So the no-tech Things are so helpful. Um, using, I, we were given a a ton of uh, plastic political signs after an election. Uh huh. And I went on a quest to find out how to make them useful. <laughs> so there's actually a woman who's written a book about it. Really? And, um, among other things, but she has a number of projects using those little plastic. It's called a Stratocore, that plastic. Uh-huh cardboard material and you can make um stands that you can put a book on or you can put an ipad on so it's held upright uh, for the child who has impaired vision or maybe they can't uh, move their arms very far across the table Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it puts it in a position so their hands can access it um more easily um of course, the high-tech devices are fun. It's really fun to get a child into a power wheelchair for the first time hmm. and to watch their these literal light bulbs appear over their head when they realize <laughs> that their hand-move-it is making their body move. When they move the joystick with their hand and their body moves, there is a literal light bulb that comes over their head. It's like, I did that. I made my body move in space for the first time ever. This is fantastic. So there's, there's a lot of fun with the high-tech items as well.
0: That is fun. It's like you're getting to play all the time and yeah. <laughs> use all the toys. That's neat. Do you have a favorite story about a child who responded well to assistive technology?
1: Oh, well, um, recently there was a little one at our school, um, one of the uh, younger kids at our school, and she uh, has trouble moving her body and she has... Um, Problems with her eyes. So vision is is Mm -hmm. problematic. And uh, just a beautiful little kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's nonverbal. And the University of Tulsa has a program in the engineering department. And they make a lot of things for us. It's really fun. Mm -hmm. And they made this um, little power mobility chair that's called the mover. And it's painted like a cow. So it's the (laughs) M-O-O-V-E-R. And we put this child in this little Chair and it's got a bumbo seat in it. So she's tiny. She's uh-huh. like, I don't even know if she's two yet. Oh, wow. She's a little tiny. So we put her little bottom in that bumbo seat so she could sit real stable. And um, it took about 10 minutes of helping her find the joystick and playing with it. Mm. And um, then she started pushing it, and <laughs> the little chair moved her and just. The look on her face and her teachers were so excited and her friends were coming back from an activity and they walked beside her as she was moving her body with them in the little chair. And then her dad showed up
0: Uh and
1: uh, we were so excited for dad to see her doing this. And she just stopped and looked at dad, like (laughs) holding up her hands. Okay, daddy, pick me up now. Take me out of this. And I just Uh was, I was just that, you know what? Dad's here. He's going to pick me up good thing i have a video to show him about it (laughs) because i don't think he would have believed us (laughs) but it was just you know watching a kid move for the first time is so incredible Yes, and being with a child when they when they use a device to say a word for the first time and they make that social emotional connection with you because you Mm -hmm. are responding to what they say
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um it's just so incredible to be part of that yeah. to be a little
0: little slice of their life that moment to make their world bigger. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> well, Steph, it's been so fun to have you. We'll have to have more conversations yes. and go deeper into some of these topics, but that was a really neat overview just to understand kind of the heart motivation behind what we do, what assistive technology is and some basic frameworks for identifying what's suitable for individual children. So, well, thanks for walking us through that. Sure. I like to wrap up our conversations by asking the question: What does helping kids be kids mean to you? Hmm. I thought about this. Um,
1: helping kids be kids, to me, I, I really, in my mind, insert a different word. It's helping helping kids be human. And our human experience is, um, it's so intertwined with everyone else's experience. Mm. And so for me, helping a kid um, not be the one sitting by themselves, not be the one who is unable to answer a question, uh, not be the one who is being fed while everyone else is being themselves Mm. it's in my mind helping them be human Mm. and have an experience that they see everyone else around them having um and so helping kids be kids is helping them participate in life Mm. to the best of their ability to the best of their interest because some kids are happy to Mm -hmm. to hang out and observe and that's cool Mm -hmm. um
0: But that's that's what I think. Mm. I love your perspective. Mm. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. Well, thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us today. At The Little Lighthouse, we gladly give away our services and resources for free. And we can do this because of the generosity of people who believe in the value of all kids. If this podcast helped you, please consider joining The Crew, a passionate and determined group of monthly givers on mission to discover solutions that change the future of kids with special needs. To learn more about The Little Lighthouse, please explore www.littlelighthouse.org. Until next time, enjoy helping your kids be kids.